Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What's up? It's a gold fam. Happy Monday. Hope you all had an amazing weekend. Super excited for this episode today. Today, my guest is Andy Stern, aka the mayor of Uppercut City. Andy has an incredible story, and I am so excited and honored to share it with you today. Andy is the VP of Talent and Programming at Rumble, a boxing-inspired group fitness class taking the world by storm. They recently went public, and you are going to see tons and tons of Rumble boxing gyms, Rumble training gyms opening up all over the world. If you live in a major city and you have not yet been to a Rumble boxing gym, I highly recommend. It's an incredible workout. The music is bumping. Check them out. I love it there. In this episode, we dive into Andy's professional journey of pursuing his dreams, navigating life in his early 20s, and how he has moved forward after losing both his dad and his mom at a young age after a very short period of time. Today, Andy is living his dream life in growing Rumble and building a life he loves with his wife, Julia, and his son, Presley. With that, enjoy the show. Andy Stern, a.k.a. the mayor of Uppercut City. Welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. Pumped to have you on. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I wish I had a cool nickname like that as well, but uh, this will work today. I've taken your class multiple times at, at Rumble, been to Rumble a bunch, so really excited to, to have you on. Thank you for the support. Absolutely. Obviously, you guys are now going worldwide, but best worldwide. gym in Manhattan. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks for having me today. I know uh, you know we've been trying to get on this on the schedule for a while, so appreciate yeah. the uh, back and forth. Absolutely. So, really, just super excited to have you on. We both lost our parents young. There's so much I'm excited to dive into on this episode today. Before we dive into your story of loss, losing both your parents, how you've navigated that, and how you've gone on to build an incredible life you love, I want to just take it back because. A lot of people know you, especially in New York City. I know a lot of people have mentioned, oh, I want to go to Andy's class in the city when you talk about Rumble. And maybe also Thanks. for those that don't know, you could just share like a high level of what Rumble is. And then I want to take it back to life before Rumble. Mm. I was reading some of your Instagram posts, some of your Facebook posts, and was actually so fascinated to see the journey of actually getting to Rumble, the hardship, the resistance that you were met with. A lot of people see the highlight reel on, on Instagram. and. I got to give you a shout out because I love that you keep it 100. You're super authentic you. on there and you share the hardship of getting to that point where you are today. And I think that that's just awesome. And you don't see that too often today, especially on social media. Yeah, it's the journey. And I'm excited to jump in again. Thanks for having me. And, and anytime I get to share what I've gone through and obviously what you've gone through, it, it helps others. You know, I think that's the ultimate goal of it all. So let's go a little time travel. Rumble boxing. For those that don't know, quickly, we started in 2017, just top level stuff. It's a high-end group fitness boxing studio, 45-minute class. We do half-time boxing, half-time strength training, 
state-of-the-art sound system and music. And we were fortunate enough to get some big names behind us, Sylvester Stallone, Justin Bieber, Scooter Braun, and so forth. So we had credibility, we had money. And then once the culture was built from the right people, you know, we were on to something super cool. And like Dan mentioned, international expansion at this point, Australia is coming. I had a meeting with them yesterday. Alaska is going to be our next one, which is pretty wild, even though it's national. It's not really, it's not, it's not around the corner <laughs> from New York, but it's a lot of cool things coming and, and uh, super fortunate. But again, that's the highlight. Then there's the real, right? So 2016, I'm at home, I'm 27 and, you know, I'm, I'm hustling at this point to break into the group fitness scene or, or fitness in general. You know, everybody always wants to say, I want to work in fitness, Dan. And to be honest, like grass is green because it looks cool, right? You're always wearing gym clothes, you work out for a living, you meet people, you know, your free time is pretty flexible. It's not as green as some people make it look, right? I think it's always green where you water it. But, you know, at that point, 27, I had tried and started a, a company in college called Curriculum. It was a DVD program. Monmouth University endorsed it and you know, I was super proud. I was super pumped, but I knew the writing on the walls was DVDs were eventually going to go obsolete. So I was kind of at this pivotal point in 2016 of, do I double down, make it digital, or do I just kind of, I have an MBA at this point, do I get a job and, and not necessarily settle, but, you know, find something maybe in the health and fitness space. Maybe work for like, I applied to like Kind Bars. I did some time at New York Roadrunners. So kind of companies that were in the health field, but not exactly what I wanted. So ultimately I decided not to further pursue curriculum. And at that point I said, let's go into physical therapy. So I dive back in, I have to go back into school to get some more kind of general education credits. But I'm again, 27, I'm living at home. So now I'm in holistic view. I'm waking up at 345. I teach 5 a.m. classes, 6 a.m. classes, 7 a.m. classes at Orange Theory. I go to either Middlesex County College, where I'm taking some classes, or I go to my high school where I'm a substitute teacher, and that gets me to about 3 p.m. And then again, 4.30, 5.30, 6.30, some nights even 9 p.m. classes I used to have, I would teach again. And then I would do that four to five days a week, and then I would teach again on Saturday and Sunday, eight classes, four in the mornings, or four on Saturday, four on Sunday. So that's a seven-day-a-week hustle, and I don't care how much energy you have or if the Rock Prince is, you know, his Zoa cans. Seven days a week beats anybody <laughs> up, right? And again, I'm 27, right? I'm starting to see my friends, you know, kind of get out, move out, get married, start to buy a house and so forth. So I'm starting to get that that envy, you know, a little bit of why did I choose this path? Five years of a struggle, could have been working for those five years, saving up money. My wife now was my girlfriend at the time, Julia, was a school teacher. And, you know, she was teaching fitness as a passion, but... She's got a you know savings plan. She's got a salary. She's got a schedule. Hey, I go in, I leave. She's got a five-day-a-week job. So all of that stuff where everyone's saying, uh-uh, my grass is green. I'm looking at that saying, I want stability. I want to clock out. I want to not beat my body up every day. So I was super torn. So I'm a head coach at Orange Theory, substitute teaching, and I'm going to PT school, and I'm burning out. My dad sees it at the time. And Never forget, I'm sitting at the table studying my ass off and I'm trying to literally digest information that, you know, Dan, we learned 15 years ago in high school, right? So I'm like trying to wrap my head around like biology 101 again and things. And I'm like super frustrated, super tired. I'm sitting at the kitchen table. He goes, 
pour a drink, come outside. So I pour a glass of wine. My dad was a big Smirnoff guy. He had a Smirnoff club. We're sitting outside, me, him, my mom. And at the time, Rumble was a literally a text message from a buddy named Joey, friend of a friend, said, hey, Eugene wants to get into group fitness. You should talk. That was it. Didn't have a name. Didn't have a timeline. But I was excited about it because I knew Eugene's credentials. And I was like, yeah, this guy, like the king of New York, you know, he wants to talk to me about fitness. All of a sudden, my, my eyes started lighting up like it's Times Square. So my dad goes, listen, you can go the, the doctor route. You know, I hope the thing with Joey's friend works out. I suggest you double down, push through with this doctorate in three to four years. You'll have a nice living. You know, you could stay here, obviously, as long as you want. So that's nice to me, supportive. But also, I'm like, I want to move out eventually. You know, I'm getting a bug. But at that point, this was April of 2016. I'm like, I can't do all of what I'm doing, right? Just uh, physically. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to just really dive into this PT world. May 2016, so not much longer. That conversation with Eugene starts to get a little hotter. Now we start to have lunch. Now I start to meet the rest of the team. I'm like, this is actually picking up steam to the point where in July, again, I'm still doing everything from a school, from an orange theory. We're just having conversations. Yeah. They make the kind of official offer. You know, at this point, they're like, this, we're going to get into the boxing space. You know, you're going to be the GM, teach a couple classes. Right away, I'm starting to think this is my manifested desire because it's bridging the gap between business but also teaching so i was like this is it this is it perfect caveat is i got to move to new york which i'm okay with because my brother lives in new york i'm pumped right so i get the offer first week of july and we're you know play play a little hardball right so i want to renegotiate something i want to ask for x y and z that day i uh was renegotiating per se my dad passed away uh, from a heart attack. He was celebrating his anniversary with my mom in Atlantic City. Julie and I were filling out engagement cards, invitations, because at this point we got engaged and everything just stops, right? Like, you know, the world just shuts down. You, yeah. you just can't process time distortion when death hits because you're, you're confused, right? Super confused too, because now I'm supposed to be excited, right? I'm filling out engagement cards. I just basically signed my contract to work on Rumble. I'm like, things are working out. Things are working out. Things are finally opening up. And now I lose my number one, my dad. Broken. You know, just completely not sure what to do because then my mom's all alone in my house. Do I still take this thing and move to New York City and now leave my mom, who's 66 at the time, by herself in the suburbs of Jersey? I'm like, it makes me feel guilty, right, to try to pursue what I want. And obviously, any mother is going to say, go pursue your career and life. I'm fine. But that doesn't help us. As we're making that decision, we're feeling bad. So at that point, I'm starting to commute more, which is doable. It's not that far, about an hour and a half. Doing the commute a couple days a week. Again, we're still holistically building the concept. So it's not like I have an office. I was working out of Eugene's catch offices at the time. So it's not like I'm going into the space. I have a book of what I need to do. This is a startup, right? This is simply like, what is the workout? What is the brand? Who's working here? <laughs> what do we need? Well, who's our towel vendor? But everything from the ground up. Yeah. So really hard to conceptualize while it's stable because now I've got the salary and such. There's still so much variability in a startup. You know, Who knows if this thing collapses after a week? Who knows if it's going to work? Who knows if we can even get it off the ground? 
So yeah, all nothing's of those known. things. Exactly. You know, it's not like you're going into a, a corporate office that's been established for 10 years and you're like, account manager, I've got my accounts and blah, blah, blah. No. They're like, hey, Stern, figure out who's the team. You know, help build this program. When's practice? Where are we at with this projectors and the music? So And you guys already knew though, like you guys had the money, the backing. It was going to open. It wasn't like, are we just tinkering with an idea now? Correct. We had the backing at that point. Andy Stenzler was the monster, you know, and, and Eugene and Anthony DeMarco and Noah. But, you know, Andy drove the real estate piece. And, you know, we've got this 23rd Street location. That's where we know we're opening. And then he's aggressively pursuing and thinking of the next steps. But again, proof of concept needs to be locked and loaded. And we were far from that. And this is summer of 2016, right? So we have, when we have, 2020 vision, we don't open till January of 2017. So it is an R&D for about six to seven months, which takes a long time to really nail down a program, nail down the team, onboard the team, create the onboarding structures, the SOPs, you know, what systems we're using and marketing campaigns. So a lot, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I'm in the studio, which now is Chelsea Boxing, and we're kind of walking through with the architects and the construction and never forget it. Like they'll be like, oh, the bags are going to be over here and you know, floor. And again, it's just concrete walls. It was an old meathead type gym at the time. So they've got to do a whole gut. They've got to build a floor, build a staircase and everything. And kind of doing a walkthrough and my phone rings, my brother, Bobby, and I, um, I'm like, hey man, I'm in a meeting, you know, calls me right back. I'm like what's going on? And he's hysterical crying. Okay. I get chills just saying it, but like, you know, they found cancer on my mom. So now I'm like, what? You know, Dan, right? That's just like, a, you just got like punched in the face. You're like, yeah. You'll never forget a phone call like that with the, never. with the news, obviously. I vividly remember exactly where I was sitting, what my mom was wearing when she told me that she was, that she was sick. Same for my dad. hundred percent. You know, and honestly, I was having like PTSD from my dad's phone call because that hit Julie and I around 11 o'clock at night when we were going to bed. My aunt calls me. And like, you know, when you had that type of phone call at 11 o'clock, every time the phone rings, you're just thinking the worst. Yeah. Now, you know, three months later, this phone call with bad news. And, you know, when someone gives you that diagnosis, every question goes through your brain, right? So anyone that's listened to this, that's been in that wheelhouse, they know how much time, how bad is it? What stage is it? What do I do? How do I get tested? Where, where, like, everything, you know, you start to think. Which it is. It's a, it's unfortunate. It's a ticking time bomb for a lot of us. So we rush back. We jump in a car. We get to New Jersey, and we start going through the process. You know, different tests, different. You know, who we have to call, what doctors, and carry on. And you know, again, now I'm like, how do I go back to New York City? Now she's not only just alone, but she's a sick human being and alone. So a lot of emotional kind of distress making these decisions. Mind you, Joy and I are still planning our wedding. <laughs> we're still trying to be excited and you're still trying to get the business off the ground and the business off the ground you have a tremendous amount on your plate of everything that was almost futuristic right like what's up and coming big big monumental things but also now big monumental fear i'll never forget i remember asking the doctor one day after chemo i said i pulled him out super hard question to ask because obviously they're not a higher power but you just have so much hope and trust in the doctor i said you know we're planning to get married in July, and he just stopped me. He goes, she'll be there. I was like, because we were going to move the wedding up. Like, you know, and when he said that, it was a nice breath of fresh air, a little bit of relief. And 
ultimately she was there and it was great. We did the wedding and she was doing super well, you know, and every cancer journey is different. This was unfortunately pancreatic, which, you know, no cancer is good, but this beast is a little aggressive and, and we were doing well. And I want to shout out real quick, Dr. Paul, who, you know, power of social media sometimes, Dan, before you talked about highlighting real. When I one day spoke with mom on my Instagram, Dr. Paul, who I trained once in a while, didn't know him, right? It wasn't like, this is my loyalist. This guy comes to me every week. Like He just took my class, messages me, and this is his industry. You know, he, he's, he's an oncologist and he's got this, this trial that he could really help push mom to get in, all because I put out mom's story and used my audience and all of a sudden somebody that's taken my class you know wants to help and lo and behold he gets her in this trial he transferred hospitals and she's doing super well you know at that point julie and i are traveling the country for 11 months opening up rumbles so i'm okay emotionally because she's doing okay you know like i'm facetiming her she looks great she's feeling great she keeps saying i don't even think i have cancer so i'm like feeling good right yeah thanksgiving of that year, 2018, once again, the phone rings. And once again, Poppy's coming with bad news. And, you know, again, I'm in LA and he's like, it's back. It's aggressive. It's, they don't like what they're seeing. We don't tell mom till after Thanksgiving weekend. Just try to hold off on that negative news, right? Because once you get that, you're just, you're crushed. Yeah, absolutely crushed. It's terrible. You know, so I fly back. And then the next year between November, 2018, when we got that second diagnosis, all the way to November 2019, when ultimately she passed, it was, you know, as you know, the battle, hospitals every week, and awful, awful to witness, all while having career success and a marriage at this point, that's, everything's going great on the personal life, or on the professional life, rather, but the personal life is just struggling. Yeah, life's complicated, you know, it's like sometimes, like in your case, business, professional might be crushing it. And then yeah. on the personal side, you might have tremendous mountains that you're trying to climb, navigate. And I don't Most know, it's something that I continue to learn. It's just never, nothing is ever just like all things ago. Never. And it's funny too, because so I'd say probably one of the, the biggest things for me personally, since I've lost my parents is the desire to want to manufacture my life and live the life that I want to live on a daily basis. I I always say, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through grief and through loss is that we can't control how much time we have on this earth. The only thing we can't control is how and where we spend the limited time that we're given. And knowing that, I really tend to ask myself on a daily basis, knowing I too am going to die, how do I want to spend my limited time on this earth and manufacturing my life around that? And a lot of times awesome. I'm mapping towards like, what are the things that make me happy, truly make me happy? And that's what I want to do. But obviously, you know, there are so much that's obviously, you know, better than anyone, so much that's out of our control. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's it's very hard to only map towards happiness because life throws you curveballs that you'd least expect. Always. Yeah. That's a that's a good point though, you know, like trying to manifest after losing, you know, what you gain from the loss. So it's weird to say that because you do gain from the loss, but you gain it in something different. You gain it in like emotional or kind of a point of view on life that you didn't have because you didn't need to have it back then. But now that you have it because you've lost something so massive in your life, I always say they're pillars. In between losing dad and mom, I lost my grandmother as well. So I lost my three major pillars in three years. 
you know, you almost lose, like, who's my family, you know, like where, who's my support system. So when you lose something as powerful as those pillars, you gain that whereabout of like, what is, what am I, what do I want to do with my life? Like this time is borrowed, you know, it's so fast. It's going to go quick, that much quicker than we realize. You know, as kids, we think we all live to a hundred. <laughs> Rarely happens, unfortunately. But yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you or admit I'm equally grateful, you know, for the loss as I am for the lessons I've learned as a result of the loss. Mm-hmm. It is unfortunate, but it is something that I am beyond grateful for because the perspective, the view, even sure. the magic in just us connecting and being able to have this open conversation that I know will help someone else. That would never be if both my parents were alive and we were kicking it downstairs right now, you know? I, so I agree. I want to take it back. Even before you were the head trainer at Orange Theory, you have this business in college that you're working on and it doesn't work. You like highlighted it slightly that, you know, that you end up putting a pause on that or hanging the gloves up on that to pursue Orange Theory, mm-hmm. part-time school, it sounded like. You had, a, you had a lot going on. You were working basically all day. You're up, you're up and out <laughs> since 3 a.m. in the morning. What was that like? Even before, I guess, you had this conversation with your dad on, on your porch, you know, what was it like? You have this baby, this business that you're trying to grow. And I'm sure you put blood, sweat, tears, energy, time, money maybe into it, and it doesn't work. And I know, like I read from reading some of your Facebook posts, you tried a ton of creative things and you really tried to see, see that business through. Yeah. What was it like when you decided to ultimately hang up the gloves? Like, how did you navigate that specifically? Look, I think, you know, before you said the highlighting part, we, everybody highlights the W's, right? Everybody sees like the success piece that people create. Like I have, I don't want to say failed because failed always means negative, but like failed, lost in a, so many opportunities of business and fitness and creatively have come up with the curriculum. I had a company called Swell, which was students who exercise living life. That lasted about nine hours. You know, I had a number of different, we had a, thing called Calend Bar, which was like a calendar interactive for bars and nightlife that lasted about 12 hours. I was helping my brother launch an interactive app for babysitters and kids, probably 15 hours worth of, you know, like all of these ideas, getting business cards and thinking, you know, we got it, ordering t-shirts and, and trying to creatively make it in the space. It was at a point of super frustration. And I say that like, as simple as that sounds, oh, you get over frustration. No, wake up and you feel like you're not achieving anything. You wake up, you feel like, you know, everybody is succeeding. And even at the time, social media was growing 2013, 2014, but it wasn't what we see now where we just see everybody's everything every day, all day, right? So it was, people would share, but it wasn't even close to the amount of in your face I'm successful. I'm doing this. I'm traveling here. I opened up this store. I bought this as it is now. So I can't imagine how the emotion of frustration would have been amplified if, if it was now of technology, right? Because you, you see all of this highlight reel. Why isn't that me? How come I can't do that? So I'm at 2013, 2014, beating myself up, waking up every morning. And one kind of thing that annoys me when I look back at my journey was I wanted to almost prove that I was busy. And oftentimes in hindsight, I'm upstairs on my computer in my room and my dad's get, you know, downstairs. And I didn't spend, again, you can only look, learn this by looking backwards. 
I didn't go down there and just, you know, either work in the kitchen or, or just take more time to hang out with them because I was so focused on succeeding and making it. You know, I had to almost force myself to be busy, sit down with a notebook, creatively come up with ideas. And again, that's the hustle. It just, when I look back, I probably wish, I definitely wish I could have spent, you know, more smarter time as opposed to longer hours um, yeah. trying to get something to work. But again, you're 24 at the time and you're trying to just, you're trying to make it work. Yeah. And, you know, you probably have have that perspective amplified because of your experience with loss, mm-hmm. recognizing how precious your time is. My dad died when I was 20. My mom died when I was 25. And when I was 19, before my dad got sick, I had my own business at the time, actually selling my own line of boxing gloves. It was nice. called Golden Gear. I did that from when I was 14, from 2009 till 2015. Wow. And when I was building that business, if you had asked me anything as it relates to life outside of that business, you know, I had not the slightest clue about anything. Like, you know, anything. I look back and I'm like, I was just a dumb kid. Yep. So I can really resonate with that. But, you know, that's like when my dad died, I gained an entirely new perspective on the world and it right. shaped my views and the things I want to do as it relates to business, how I want to make more time for life outside of just work, because there's so much more to life than than just so much business success. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny you say that, though, because like the creativity that you have at 14 or 15 to start a business, I mean, like testament to, and I, I don't fortunately know who your parents were, but you didn't come up with that, that entrepreneurial creativity and have the support without having a support system. So, you know, I always think, you know, my dad manifested where I'm at, in my opinion, because he would see Sean T and Tony Horton on TV and Jillian Michaels. And he always just yelled down for me to come look at the infomercial and say, that's gotta be you get on TV you should be famous. Like he was pushing for this kind of celebrity type trainer. And I kept small minded saying, ah, it's not possible. Like, you know, they're superstars and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I think the parallel that you and I both have being young entrepreneurs is we had a support system, you know, without that support, it would not have been possible. Absolutely. You know, I I think a lot of people who are in their early twenties, and I think it's amplified even more maybe than like when our parents grew up, because for a lot of reasons, one social media, like I think that puts a lot of pressure. I, I know I mentioned to you, I volunteer at experience camps and yeah. uh, it's a free one week camp for kids that have lost a loved one. And this past summer, I was just in Maine a couple of weeks ago. I was responsible for the LIT program, which is the leadership and training program, which is they're 16, 17 years old. And it's their last summer at camp. And the week is supposed to highlight help them both in terms of their own loss, their own grief, but also help them just become and give them tools to help them be good people, good leaders outside of camp year round. And one night we did an event where we sat down all the kids, we brought in some pizza and we did like ask the counselors anything that you want to know as someone who's 16 or 17. And we sort of gave them the advice that we wish we had when we were 16 and 17. And one counselor stood up and he asked, how many of you feel pressure to succeed from social media, from your peers and things like that. And I'm shocked, but it makes sense. Everyone raised their hand that they feel like an immense amount of pressure to succeed, whatever that means to you, you know, to succeed because of social media and the pressure from that. So I think there's, there's a lot of pressure from, like we spoke about the highlight reel from social media, but also just today, I think with like the age of the internet, in some ways there's 
so much opportunity. It's, it's kind of like eating in New York City. You have so many options. So making a choice is difficult. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, that the creator economy is like, it even, I mean, we're, you and I are not old, but like you almost sometimes, and I feel this for myself, but like I am failing at not tapping into TikTok further or like getting, you know, even just diving deeper into creating Instagram deeper content. So it is a very challenging emotional culture that we've created to compete at that quote unquote success. Very hard for people nowadays. Specifically like in your journey. So, you know, you're sitting on the porch with your dad and you have this text lingering from your buddy, Joey, with a connection to Eugene. And on one hand, you know, you're, you're getting exhausted, frustrated. You stop pursuing your own business. Do you ever think back or like just even in this conversation, like it's crazy to think that, you know, you could have played it safe and taken that job and pursued becoming a, a physical therapist or something of that nature mm-hmm. and had that steady paycheck. And then it's like you have your dreams on the other hand where you ultimately chose to pursue it. And that's sort of also the, how the cards ended up unfolding. But I think there's a lot of people in this world who are faced with a similar situation in their early 20s, in their late 20s, maybe even their early 30s, where they sit down and they say, I have this dream, I have this idea, I have this thing I want to pursue. But on the other hand, I have security. And I see also now that I'm 28, the window when I was like 21, the opportunity cost in terms of risk, like I'm recently married, I got a dog, like I used to be able to eat, you know, noodles and tuna out of a can and I'd be very content, happy, and I could yeah. live on, you know, a thousand dollars a month and, and yeah. be cool. So you could take those risks very easily. I see now that it, it gets more difficult as you get older and you start to have family obligation, things like 100%. that. How do you get like I guess one, obviously it worked in your favor to pursue your dreams and obviously now Rumble is growing faster than ever. It recently went public. So much excitement there. Like, it's crazy to think if you didn't stick with that, what your life would have been, it could have been. Uh, you think about it often, you know, and I think, you know, and I posted that five year to the date, it was 7 8 16 versus 7 8 2021. And the differences, you know, in my life, what if I chose that path? And I think anybody who's listened to this that's, that that's looking to make a jump into something. And like you mentioned, the risk at certain points in your life is obviously greater, right? For me right now, if I was to leave, you know, everything out, I've got a six month old, right? So I've got someone that's dependent on me to support. So there's, there's those factors, but you know, I looked at curriculum and I looked at pushing through and just hustling, call it, there was the career and then there was a job. And if my ultimate ambition was, you know, obviously a career, if I could not find something that was fulfilling, I wasn't necessarily scared about the money because I knew of my hustle mentality. I'll shovel, I was still shoveling snow at 26 and I was drying cars at a car wash, right? There's always opportunity, and especially in the creator economy, to make money. If money is the number one reason why you're not doing something, there's opportunity to jump ship from your stable money to make money understand that it might be harder and it might be more riskier, but there's money out there. You know, there's so much money in this, this, this world. That's you can't, there's a quote, you can't steal second base by keeping your foot on first. If you're going to steal, take it, you know, like go for it. But I always say to people, like, if you're going to jump ship into the entrepreneurial world, 
look at the grass because, you know, like I said before, it seems super green in the fitness space. If I never pursued and built brains part of my career, I know as a trainer, it's exhausting. You don't get paid if you don't work. You're up early, you're up late, you're up seven days a week. You know, so as great as it is, and I love the industry, where's the longevity? Where's the sustainability? You know, are, do you want to do this at 42, 44, 50 years old? Are you even marketable at 42, 45, 50 years old, right? So you have to start to think logistically, how do I strategically place myself in a position in this industry specifically to make money? But if you have that entrepreneurial passion, try it. What's yeah. the worst that case? The worst case scenario is you find a job that makes money and you survive off that money while you're pursuing your passion. Absolutely. The, the thing that probably gets to me more than anything, and I've had family members tell me this, I've had close friends tell me this, you know, is when you tell someone, you know, this is my dream or this is the thing I want to pursue, they're the naysayer that tells you or gives you the reason why you should stay where you are. You mm -hmm. shouldn't take the job. You shouldn't take the leap. And I always say, you know, that's been their experience. I actually once had someone close to me tell me, you know, do you really believe that anyone or so few people are really happy with the job that they pursue? You know, a job is just to pay the bills, to provide for your family. That's the right. purpose of a job. And like, there is nothing that gets under my skin more than that because <laughs> knowing like how precious our time limited is. time is on this yeah. earth, agree, it's like, man. then why the hell would you go to a job every day that makes you miserable, that doesn't bring you yeah. to life? And I always say, you know, like, it's like that's been their own experience, unfortunately. And that's shaped their own perspective. But that doesn't need to be your life. Totally. You can go out there and build a life you love. You know what the problem is, Dan, uh, and I'll stop yeah. you there real quick, is the question becomes, and you mentioned before about success, take the success word out of it. What do you want to do? Nobody knows. Like a lot of people that are struggling <laughs> with finding yeah. happiness is like, you know, if I said, what's your number one job, what would you do? It's hard for people to answer. And, yeah, and I think, true. you know, nobody could ever find that on Indeed because you don't know what you're looking for. You got to try a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. And like what, you know, dive into what is the industry and then find what create that kind of manifested. Okay. I wanted like similar, I'm not saying mine is easy, but I knew I wanted to bridge the gap again between business and fitness in some capacity. May that be managed, you know, in Equinox. That's the same kind of trajectory. It's bridge my brain and my body. If somebody doesn't know what industry they want to be in or what they want to do, they're never going to find it ever. Yeah. I always say, you know, I think, I think a lot has to change with college today. And I had a really great college experience and a unique one as well. But I think that overall, like just the mentality that you're supposed to have everything figured out by the time yeah. you graduate, and then you're supposed to pick a lane. And I hear still hear people, are, oh, I can't, I can't leave this job because I've been there less than a year. So, st I mean, I personally think it's like so stupid. I think your 20 should be filled with doing as much as you possibly can handle, as much as you possibly want to do. And then you'll get a lot of answers as it relates to, I hate this, I like this, don't yep. like that. Yep. And that will help shape, you know, your professional journey. I want to speak a little bit about your loss. So I guess, take me back. You get a phone call. You're at 11 o'clock at night. Your dad passed away. It was completely unexpected. Yeah. I mean, he was built like myself. He was worked out every day, ran three miles a day. He smoked cigarettes. And, you know, at that time, 66 years old, and he's literally built 145, 150 pounds and, you know, worked out every day outside of the running, ate healthy, shock, complete shock. And Atlantic City at the time was about an hour 30, maybe an hour 45 from where me and Julia were at my parents' house. And 
I don't think I've ever had more tunnel vision in driving. Actually, I remember the phone call, Dan, and I didn't even react. I just put on shorts and a t-shirt and I opened up the garage door and it was actually an ambulance there because my elder brother called an ambulance thinking my dad was home. And I just looked at the EMTs. I said, no, like I I didn't even react. We jumped in my truck and boom. And the whole time, honestly, I had hope because I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know that it was ultimately over. It just, you heard it in my aunt's voice. It was bad. And Julia was in the passenger seat and wild enough, she ended up taking the call from my mom and she held it for me because I was driving a car at, you know, 75, 80 miles per hour. And she kept just saying, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I'll never forget like gripping that steering wheel and just, again, tunnel vision. Nothing else was on the road, just beeline for the hospital. But, you know, ultimately at that point she had known and I was holding on to this hope and you know, I parked the car, just run in and screaming at the front desk lady, trying to like, you know, where is he? Where is he? At this point, everybody knows, you know, essentially. And I just, again, it gives me goosebumps. Just, you, you know, you see the scene of the accident, you know, everything you did. And, you know, I saw him laying there and it was just the worst, you know, like that loss being sudden versus seeing my mom's kind of demise, two totally different. It'll never prepare you. But you're just, it's almost like the forecast and the weather is like, hey, it's going to rain. And like, that's the cancer, right? Like, you know, it's going to rain. So you just don't know when it's going to rain. But for this, like, this was a bright, sunny day. And all of a sudden, the sky just opened up and it downpoured. And you're like, we're not prepared. Didn't have an umbrella. Yeah. But very like, like I said, time distortion. And I think from that, I always say life creates this divide and after, uh, divide of before and after. There was life before, and then there's life after. And ever since that after, there's been other divides, but like that was the number one that just cracked the foundation. I understand you had a lot going on in your life at that point, but how did you move forward Mm. in the days, the weeks, the months after that? So I think of grief as right off the bat, oddly enough, and, and I don't know how you've handled it, but like I almost was in shock more so maybe because it was sudden while I cried in periods, it was almost not real. Like I still saw his, you know, his sneakers by the door and his clothes. And I I couldn't wrap my head around that he was never going to wear those or grab those or like, you know, his pictures where that was it. Those are the only pictures we have now forever. And I still have a hard time thinking about the word forever, right? For whatever reason, maybe it's a, a tool in my toolbox that helps me cope and function that it's not forever, like things will get better. I don't know. Whatever it is, false reality. If it helps me live, it helps me live. But when I go back to this toolbox, I started right away for whatever reason. Maybe it's a tribute to the character that he was and personality that he was, which, you know, he was that host. You know, he's the guy on the microphone making sure everybody felt good at the party, making everybody in the room feel special. He was the entertainment. He'd pull out the trumpet, even though he couldn't play the trumpet. He'd dress up like Elvis. You know, he was just a fun human being. And I felt almost like everybody always compared him and I. Built the same same personalities. It was almost like a responsibility, almost like a weight that like got to carry his type of legacy. He would be pissed if anybody in the family, especially if I was sulking, upset. He lost his parents young. He never really like, wanted that to be sadness. He always highlighted them, always honored them, kept them alive in traditions. So it was almost like, now it's my turn. 
you know, my opportunity now to do what he would want me to do. So right off the bat, I start using grief from my toolbox as a way to connect and make people feel comfortable. And like, even at the house, when people are coming over, I'm not crying, right? Like I'm crying in, in my pieces in my, and I'm self grieving, but I'm making it almost as he would want it, you know, that entertainment and that, Hey, we're still doing it. We're still here. Yeah. He sounds like, you know, he was an incredible person. And I know you touched upon the, the support system. You know, it sounds like you're, you have a lot of him and you. Yeah. And, and honestly, it was, it was, he was a glue, him and my mom were a glue to a lot of friendships. And, and, you know, I was super fortunate to know a lot of their friends and we had a lot of like fake uncles and aunts and such. So great support system from that. But again, like, you know, once you I had that tool in my toolbox, you know, with moms, it was, I was just so much just like pulling it right back out of the toolbox and shining it up. And, and, you know, I feel like I've been here before. I know how to handle this. And again, it was a storm that was expected. So I was a little more prepared for it. I didn't expect it to happen when it happened as far as like, we have two weeks to live kind of thing. But at the moment when it happened, now it was the same pressure of what she would have wanted. You know, continue to pursue my dreams, make Julia happy, start a family. So for me, it was always like, use grief to help others, but also use that grief to honor them deeper and understand that, you know, while they're not here, they're still with me. And everything that they have taught me, I need to know that I know everything I need to know. And that's something that, you know, it's, it's hard for me to grasp. Right? I need to know that I have everything that they have taught me. I have it all. I just mm. got to find it. So I have this very vivid imagery from the story you share that if your dad had saw, you know, how things turned out, what do you think he would tell you? You know, I like the macho man and the ultimate warrior. I'm a big wrestling guy. Like I know both of him and my mom are upstairs, like running towards the macho man and say, that's my son. <laughs> you know, like that <laughs> level of proudness. It sucks to be honest that he couldn't recognize or see, you know, rumble in the flesh. I got to bring my mom one day, actually coolest class probably I've ever taught. It was right around Super Bowl. And Dr. Paul circled back to the gentleman that helped us get into the clinic. I had sure, made sure he was in class. And Dan, when I tell you I've taught, I don't know, 5,000 classes in my career of teaching this class for whatever reason, like my mom's in the background, not doing it, obviously not participating. She's just watching and observing 60 people, Saturday morning, 8.30 class. And I tell you, I still see it. I still see who was in the room and like everything, the stars aligned in that class for whatever reason, everything worked perfectly from delivery to connection. Everyone just wooing it left. And I got messages that I still saved from people. Like I've never experienced something like that. It was a testament to like me making mom proud. So like, mm -hmm. at least, you know, that's something I wish dad could see. I wish he could have came in and, you know, seen me perform and seen the, the studio built, but you know, I'm happy that mom got to see it and experience that. Yeah, absolutely. That that story gave me chills. When your mom got sick, and I'm curious if you like resonate with this at all, but I always thought after my dad died, and this, this is also like just a false narrative that I told myself, but I always told myself, you know, I, I've already lived through something so significant, so mm -hmm. young, nothing bad will ever happen to me again. Like I've already lived through the worst possible thing that could happen to me. Yep. And that's sort of how I carried my life. And, you know, I remember uh, going back to experience camps. That's really where I found community and mm -hmm. through grief. And I remember 
the first year, my dad died when I was 20. I go to camp when I'm 21 as a counselor, as a volunteer, don't know anyone. And when I got there, the thing that shifted for me personally in terms of my own like grief, my experience with grief, my own grief was I realized that not only am I not alone, but mm-hmm. how lucky I am because here I am sitting in front of hundreds of kids that have lived through significant loss that are much younger than me. And I'm like, wow, I'm blessed because I just had, I had 20 years with my dad where many of these kids had yeah. five years, six yeah. years. And then I thought nothing bad would ever happen to me again. And I actually came back from a summer of volunteering and my mom told me she was sick. And when I got the news, I was completely shocked because I really never believed that. Like, I just thought I lived through the worst. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you described, there's like life before, life after. I always sort of say that the wound you get as a result of loss, it's under your clothes. It's even under maybe your skin where it's sometimes the wounds are open. Sometimes they're more closed, but they're, they're still always open. And as you sort of move forward with loss, at some point, you know, you have like the armor that fades a little bit with loss, specifically with, with my mom. I would say that I was taken so off guard that I was yeah. just completely shocked. And when she told me that she was sick, I knew like deep down that this would not be a good ending. Right. And I was prepared as prepared as one could be. Right. But I still never really thought that I would get to this point where like my mom would, would die, if that makes sense. Yep. No, 100%. And I, I still think for me on that, that for mom too, it's, and even my dad, sometimes I'm like, wait, what? They're gone? It doesn't make sense. You know, like you, you just, I don't know how you feel sometimes that, that false reality is like, what do you mean they're not here? You know, they were just here. I just called them what now is five years or so for dad. But I'm like, it just I, literally doesn't make sense. You know, and, I, and I, part of me never really wants it to make sense because then I think, wow, that's it's, it's actually happened. But it's a very strange feeling to not want it to make sense either. Mm. But I want to go back to your point about the community and, and then man, I can't tell you the amount. And it's cool part of social media and teaching group fitness that I've gotten to connect with somebody like yourself that is in the same boat and has dealt with loss, regardless of you know situations on how they pass. Loss is loss. And the amount of people that are in that club, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll shoot a bunch of you know messages, especially on the holidays, because everyone always, you know, Mother's Day or Father's Day. And I always try to message them on days that aren't those holidays, right? Because as you know, for me, the highlights or the holidays always highlight to amplify the grief. But, you know, it's that Wednesday, two o'clock in the afternoon for me, you know, it's that that just pick up a phone call moment that's amplified deeper than the Father's Day. So I'll reach out to those that are in the club, call it, and I'll just check in on them, right? Because I think a lot of people, when people lose people, everyone's there at first, super supportive at first. Oh my God, anything I could do. And then that kind of as naturally as it could be, fades off. And then you're kind of like, you know, the party's over. I'm by myself in the house feeling and, and like, where's yeah. the check-in? Where's the, where's the, how are you? Cause guess what? Like it was only two weeks ago, but it's still raw and it's still real. And it might only be two years ago, five years ago. And it's still, how are you? Like, is there anything you could do? And I've got a couple really close friends. I'm fortunate that still get it. They still understand their fortunate that they have both parents and they still check in on me. And some of my parents' friends too still reach out, which again is a testament to who they were, that glue. You know, years later, they're still asking how I'm doing, seeing how the business is, seeing how my family is and so forth. Yeah, that's all awesome. 
Yeah, you know, it's definitely funny because people go back and live their own life after. You can't. And as to be expected, you know, like even my Mm -hmm. best friends that are here for me, no matter what, you know, they got to go on and live their life and you're sort of stuck in the situation that you're in. Yeah. We can start to wrap up the show. I know we covered a lot today around adversity, building your dream life. With that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? Define it. You know, I think that's number one. I think, like I said earlier, people chase either that life of love or success with blindly because they don't know what they're chasing. They're chasing what they think they're chasing because what they see on social media. You got to really put it down, sit down and, and think what do you want and what makes you happy or else you're going to chase, you know, somebody you see on social media and think that's happiness and that's success. And you're never going to get there because that's that person's journey and that's that person's story. So if you want that, that pot of gold, define your pot of gold. Awesome. Where can our listeners find you, connect with you, find out how to take one of your classes? Uh, so at Andrew G. Stern on pretty much everything, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm currently in New York City area. So come see me at Rumble Boxing in New York. And uh, you know, if anybody is listening to this that has more questions and anything I could help out with uh, grief or business, all yours. Awesome. Well, Andy, thanks so much for making the time today. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, share with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It really helps grow the show and it would mean the world. New episode coming out this Monday. Have an awesome week. I love your podcast. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.